Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Uh, you know, not, not, not a whole hell of a lot. I mean, I'm, I feel, um, right. I just feel really excited to like level up my, my work life game. Like it it doesn't Mm -hmm. even mean that I, it just means that like, I actually feel like an adult. Like I just feel at forty. Seven. Right now I'm 47. I feel at 47 like I'm ready. No, to... girl. <laughs> Wait, am I 40? No, I had a birthday October 4. Yeah, you turned 40. Oh. <laughs> Good. You're, you're, you're desperate to be older. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. Really? Oh, I've been telling people 47. Okay. So... <laughs> What year were you born? 75, but I'm okay, terrible you, at math. You, you, okay. 40, 46. Okay. 46. So what was I saying about being the wrong age? <laughs> oh, um, I just feel like at 46, right? That's my age. At 46, I am finally ready to get a job. Like, <laughs> okay. okay. Like, I mean, with a writing job, like a be yeah. um, a real job, a real job of like, of like, I feel like. I finally deserve, I just am starting to feel like I finally deserve a seat at the table. Mm, I love that. Yeah. You definitely do. Well, yeah. I mean, not I, just do you deserve it, but like the world needs for you to have that seat at the table. Thank you. And I finally feel like that is a possibility. You know, it's interesting. And I was going to ask you about this. So there are all these, oh my God, um, coaches in los angeles oh Um, that's funny i was gonna ask you something about coaches but go ahead okay great so so god bless them and i can just see everyone is really trying to earn a living right so like everyone i meet is trying to i know a lot of hustlers right so coaches now have this language I first time a coach used this language with me, I thought it was so cool and I was so special. They all fucking use this language. Good ones, bad ones, whatever. Okay, so they get to the part. I had a free introductory session with a woman who was wonderful. Nothing wrong with her. I'm talking about specific uh, coaching language around payment and charging. Okay. <laughs> I love how people talk about the fee. The okay. fee. Okay. Yeah. So, so therapists in my, in my, you know, the way it was, well, I also worked for a social service agency, so I could like just people please my way out of it and say, well, the agency charges this, you know, all this. Okay. But from what all the people I've seen as therapists, they're pretty straightforward. They're like, my fee is 180 an hour. This is how much your copay would, I looked up your insurance, whatever coaches have a whole nother situation where they say things like I'm I don't usually do this this is what they say <laughs> and more than one coach say this to me I don't usually do this but I'm gonna do something I don't normally do which is I'm gonna let you set your fee how much is this worth to you oh god oh what, fuck you what kind of investment seven dollars and fifty cents what kind of investment are you willing to make in your future, whatever, whatever that you And then if you lowball it, it's like, well, I guess you're not very committed to your future. Right. Or, and you must not value, you must, yeah, right. You must not think that you're abundant enough to bring it. Okay. So the first time someone said this to me, I was like, this is brilliant. Like I totally, and I bought in and I was like, and I, and 
and I didn't know. I was like, okay, you know, $80 a session. And then she later, and then we did that for a while later, she told me that she charges um, like $2,000 for, oh for, my God. for like a packet. And I was like, what? Okay. So, wow. right. Okay. This person did not do this the other day. I had a free int- introductory session and she said that, you know, and she's a woman of color and I really adore her, but it was the same languaging and it's not... It's what they're trained to say. It, mm-hmm. And so I just am so, I was so naive. I thought this was like such a cool thing. And now I'm like, wait, everyone's using the same thing, which is I'm going to let you set your fee to tell me how much you are invested in yourself. And I'm like, wait, that's manipulative. Just set your fucking fee. And if I just can pay it, I pay it. And yeah. if I don't pay it, I don't pay it. And we don't work together. Yeah, it's because otherwise... You're setting up the road, I mean, setting up the um, <clears throat> dynamic where somebody's going to feel resentful, right? Like if, if you're the coach and you're not charging what you what you think you're, I mean, what about that? Why wouldn't you turn it back on them and say like, well, I really rely upon providers to tell me what they think they're worth by having an established fee. I mean, this is, it's so crazy. Uh, it's, it's like saying, actually, I've had this before with, um, I can't think, maybe babysitters, like, yeah how much you charge well whatever you feel comfortable with I don't know what to do with that like right. I mean I feel comfortable paying you nothing does that mean that's what you want to right no. I think this is what we get in trouble with when whenever there's a barter situation as well like I remember oh my god my dad is a anyway I remember a psychologist getting into huge trouble he had a friend my dad's friend for bartering with therapy like oh my god like, like make me homemade tofu or something like similar like i'll like you do my yard work i'll do i mean to clean oh, my wow. pool and okay. i'll do i mean like you get into trouble it leads to yeah. trouble i think mm-hmm. it's better to be out of vagueness set your fee and not and just say this is my fee and if someone wants to have a conversation about the fee and do you lower it and then you have a further conversation whether you decide to to lower it or not is up to you but like yeah, I don't like this. This no, and let's just be direct. I mean, I, th- this is another problem that we have, like with just I don't know globally with communication. I just feel like people are so darn indirect, and it doesn't help. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that like I can't use more, you know, finesse or be have softer or whatever. But like at the end of the day, I just want to know what it is you're trying to say to me. You know, and I don't want to guess about it because I'm going to guess wrong and then you're going to feel a type of way about it and it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. And I do, you know, as much as, as much as I, I always think back, I had a a therapist at the, uh, at Austin Riggs in Massachusetts in Stockbridge and Dr. Craig Pierce. Right. And he, it was interesting. I wanted to call him Dr. Craig and he was like, no, that is not my name. And it, and I was like, this guy's such a douche. But really, he was setting a boundary, saying, no, 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 no. I'm not your friend. I'm actually not your dad. I'm not your. This isn't. We're working. We're doing serious work here. And it's either Craig or Dr. Pierce. But you can't. And at the time, I was like 21 or something. I, I don't know what I was. But I thought, what a douche. But now I'm like, oh, he actually was was trying to help me. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, let's just get this out of the way. This is how I expect to be referred to. This is how much I expect to be paid. My thing about coaches recently is I feel like everybody is doing this group delusion about like, we can't go to therapy. So we have to say, I mean, we could pay more for a coach than we might for a therapist. We could be more revealing with a coach than we are with a therapist. It's just turned into this stigma of like, well, I don't want to go to therapy, but you know, I want to have a coach. And the problem with that is it's so wildly unregulated. Yes, exactly. Anybody can call themselves a coach. Right. And even this, um, this coach that I saw was like, yeah, it's wildly unregulated. And I understand that, you know, so, so there are some, you know, weird coaches and she's lovely and she's trying to make a living. The other thing that is so clear to me is everyone is trying to make a living. So there is, um, Right. Everyone's trying. I give them points for trying. Like she's trying to have a coaching business. So, so right. I don't fault her for, but I did, I was like so shocked that the languaging, I was like, oh, here we go. She's going to say the exact thing that this other coach said. So uh, duh, there's all kinds of like classes that for fee structure that that coaches Take. So are you, are you going to see her again? No, I mean, I'm not, no, 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 no. I told yeah. her, I was like, you know, I'm just really not in a position to do coaching right now. And I'm not, I have a therapist, I have a new therapist. Mm-hmm. Like, let me just pay the therapist who told me what her fee was. Um, I, so it was interesting. The other thing that I think was interesting is like, I took the reason I met this coach was I took a workshop on a free workshop on, um, uh, uh, imposter syndrome, which is another like thing that people are really throwing around now is imposter syndrome and self-sabotage, those kind of phrases. Um, so I took an imposter syndrome workshop, lovely workshop. And then they said, you know, we're going to have a raffle and see who gets a free coaching session. Well, we all did. We all won the raffle. I mean, (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, is everything a play? Yes. Los Angeles. Yes. So I mean, everything is like a performance piece in Los Angeles. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's so, it's so funny, but like, so yeah, I was talking to my friend. I'm like, who went to the workshop? I'm like, Oh, I won the, I won the coaching session. She goes, so did I. And then I talked to someone else who I met, who I networked with. They're like, so did I. I was like, we all, I, I really respect how much it seems like people in LA are devoted to self-improvement. I really, really respect that in a way that I just feel like people out here aren't, or if they are, they don't talk about it maybe is what it is, but it does seem, it does seem like people in LA are either tr- they're on a health kick or a mental health kick, or they're, you know, getting sober. Or I just feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of kicks I, here. There's a lot yeah, of kicks. And I appreciate the fact that everybody talks about that openly, because if, if people are into that stuff around here, they don't talk about it. Um, so I end up feeling like, uh, you know, I'm a weirdo. I feel like it's like, like literally like old money versus new money. I yeah, swear to God. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like old, old paradigms versus um, new paradigms. And like, yeah, it's out in the open here. Everyone's on some kick, but at the same time, it's also lessened because everybody's talking about it all the time, and it becomes like, mm-hmm. a, like a like a farce, like not sacred in any way. It's like, yeah, and I bet there's a lot of people who are doing the most, like in terms of self help, and they're just still the biggest assholes, or they're just lying right. to themselves about 
the fact that they're, so, you know, they, they feel like they're getting better, but they really just haven't changed at all. Yeah. I mean, I think that like living anywhere is a problem. <laughs> well, living out here, I feel like, wow, you can really feel the Puritan vibe. I mean, it's really? still, yes, you really, it's like, we don't talk about feelings. We, we talk about things on the surface. We, um, don't reveal, you know, very much about ourselves. We wow. Keep to our, yeah, keep everything. It's all, it's very buttoned up. Wow. When I first moved here, I really appreciated that. You know, I've done some wild swings geographically. Like yes. growing up in Sacramento was kind of one sort of thing unto itself. that it doesn't relate that much to California. Yeah. And then going to Chicago was like, oh, okay. I like this. These people are really down to earth. You know, then I got kind of sick of that. And then I moved to back to California to the Bay Area, and I really was into that for a while. And then I felt like, oh my god, this is all so, this is all bullshit. Like right. uh, talking about impo- everybody was an imposter. I felt like everybody um, was low key so aggro, and then just this hippie, you know, talking about free love all the time. And then we moved to New York, and I was like, oh, people just get right to the point here. I really appreciate that. Um, and I never got tired of that. But then we moved here and I thought, oh, this is New England. This is right. what the pilgrims, <laughs> they decided a way to be. And it's very buttoned up and they haven't changed in, you know, 300 years. Hey, let me run this by you. You know, I have like a little ideas folder in my notes where I just make it little snippets of ideas. I write them down. And I've had like six or seven that I realize are all circling around the same idea, which is I want to have a movie or some or some type of a script where it's a superhero. But the superhero, their power is that they can inter through some type of magic, they can intervene in somebody else's life when they're making bad decisions. This is sort of germane to coaching and like, maybe it's virtual reality, but they, they can kind of put themselves into the body of the person who's making the bad decisions and then help them. You know, it's like, it, 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 it's basically like the therapist having none of the um, barriers yes. to, yes you know, wellness or whatever, yes. and just kind of getting right in there at the same time as is a comment about how we look to other people to tell us how to behave. Anyway, the superhero's name is Psyche. Ah, oh, I love it. And, and I'm, I'm, it, I'm, it, I want to kind of continue with this idea, but I am woefully terrible with plot, as I think we've talked about before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast before. And it's such a, um, it makes perfect sense that my, given my own psychology, that plot would be the hardest thing because. Yeah. Say more about that. Well, my, my mother is the first person to tell you she's never done anything with a plan. She's always just reacted to whatever has come her way. In fact, the idea of like having a goal and working towards it was literally something I never learned until I met my husband. Wow. When like a week into dating, he was like, what are you going to do today? And I said, oh, I think I'm going to sit out in the sun. And he said, what? I thought you were trying to be an actress. I thought you were like, you don't have any time to sit down and do anything. Like you have a goal. And that, and that's been my thing is like, I, I have these vague undefined or I have had vague undefined goals. Yeah. 
that in some ways I'm working towards, but because there's no sort of master plan mm -hmm. or not a conscious one, mm -hmm. I don't know how to get from A to B to C. I know everything about what it looks like as you're traveling from A to B to C. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I right. know how to describe it and everything like that. But as far as charting a course of like, this is where I'm starting and this is where I'm going to end up, that's pretty new to me. And I feel like that's why I struggle with plot because oh. I just don't have like a lot of idea of that's know, just, how something unfolds. I feel like that's seriously, literally just ADHD. Could that be... <gasps> Oh, maybe. You have ADHD? Did we talk yes. about this? Okay. Yeah, I have ADD. Yeah. So, or mm -hmm. ADD. That's mm -hmm. so if you have that, this is when I talk to writers who have ADD, that this is their exact situation. Oh, okay. They are oh. excellent with dialogue, excellent with everything except the actual plot pointing to A to B to C to. It, you just, I think you just need a class in some ADD meds. Like, I'm serious. I, I don't think. Okay. This is not okay. a, this is, this could be a very practical thing. So, so my father, you know, had some big problems, but was a brilliant man in a lot of ways, right? His dissertation, he could see the whole thing where it was going to end up. He knew what he wanted people to feel when he read it. He knew he, he could not write the thing. So my mother ended up writing it for him. Please yeah, don't take his degree away, possibly. But anyway, <laughs> because he couldn't do the the actual thing, so I'm I'm wondering, just like my thing was kind of practical of finding a co working space and not getting a divorce, kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering <laughs> if yours is literally a, like could be a physiological response to too much stimuli going on and how to get to to, to your vision. So. Anyway. Maybe I need a coach. <laughs> well, Gina, funny you should bring that up because I was going to say to you, how much is it worth for you? No. Uh, yeah, right. uh, imagine <laughs> I tried to tell you as being your coach on our podcast. That, that would have been, been so slick. That would have so been slick. so slick. You're like, I wasn't going to mention this to you, but I'm actually becoming I'm a I'm actually coach. a coach. No. Uh, so, so anyway, that is my two cents. When you start saying, when you start talking about that, I was like, wait a second. This is not... A psychological problem I don't okay think, okay I mean you know what that sounds right to me that, because that, you're willing that makes to do a lot the of work sense. you're not lazy and you're not it's not like you don't have ambition that's not true because you we've talked a lot on the podcast about how like having some sense of power is really important to you maybe not fame but power the power that comes with that so I'm like yeah. all right so that's not someone that has no ambition right so that's got to be a different mechanism in the brain that's not connecting in some way um, because you're also a people pleaser. So if someone, so my guess is if I, w I would wonder if we did an experiment, like if you were in a class, right. And the class person was the teacher, the person in authority was like, and you trusted this person or a mentor or whoever writing group, whatever the higher power is in that moment said to you, said to you, Gina, you must do, you know, act one must be written by this date. I wonder if you do it. I would. I totally would. Okay, so in fact, one... that's part of me has been like, should I try to get into an MFA program? I don't think that's the answer. I take a I class don't. first. Just take a class. Yeah. Like, I just take a class. There's script anatomy. There's all these classes that like, uh, uh, that we can talk about later, but like take a class. I know I should have taken a class and not enrolled in an MFA program. Like that was what I, I, I mean, it was ridiculous. Can I tell you one of my favorite slash least favorite things in the world is when I have a big problem and the answer is like something really straightforward. 
Yeah. I both love and hate that. that is- I hate it because I think, wow, why didn't I think of that? And why have I spent so much time just like ruminating and cogitating and wringing my hands about something that has like a pretty straightforward answer? I yeah. And a lot that. of times, a lot of times us, uh, I think kids that didn't, weren't really, for whatever reason, didn't get what they needed emotionally, make all these things. Our brain works overtime to try to figure things out when the solution, like I remember, like when I started having panic attacks, I thought I had schizophrenia. I thought I went to the doctor. He's like, you have a panic disorder. Take this pill. And I was like, what? Yeah. It, it, it yeah. How even... could it be that easy? How could it be? How could it be? I feel like in that, if I were in your shoes, I would think, no, no, no. I don't just have something that everybody else has. I have a truly unique, right? Is that what you were feeling? Yeah, I, I thought I was like going to end up in a state run nursing home and I had a panic yeah. disorder. It was so, I couldn't. And I think it gets wrapped up in shame and wrapped up in I should be able to, I could be, you know, all that shit. But yeah, it, it, it was like, he was like, no, 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 no. You have something called a panic disorder. It's in this book. And it was a DSM. He's like, it's in this book. And I, he read the, the, the stuff, the criteria. And I was like, I had that. He was like, no shit. Which is why I'm telling you to take this pill, this Zoloft. And I was like, what? It didn't even cross my mind. The other thing is nobody tells you about it. Like, Right. A lot of the struggle that we have, I think, at, or at least that I have is internal, right? So I don't, I'm not sharing it with people, which is Correct. why I think the podcast is good because maybe someone's listening to the podcast going, oh, fuck, maybe I just have a panic disorder or oh, yeah. fuck, maybe I have ADD or yeah. I need a class instead of my life is over. I'm terrible. I'm fundamentally incapable of getting any better. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Oh, so, well, thank you for that. What a gift you gave me. Well, thank I think, it's, yeah, that's just what came forward. I'm like, wait, this is not a psychological weirdo psychological pathological yeah uh, emotional problem today in the podcast we're talking to kate dugan a playwriting major from depaul theater school who currently lives in morocco where she teaches English. She is also a a performer and has some interesting stories about her road from wanting to be a performer to deciding to be a writer. So please enjoy our conversation with Kate Dugan. Oh my God, you haven't changed one tiny bit. exactly the same. (laughs) Uh, Thanks. Wow, nice to see you girls. You guys look the same too. It's been, I can't believe it, 30 years almost, right? Yeah. Don't say it like that. God. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <It's> rude. <laughs> 25. Sorry. It's been 30 years since I graduated from high school. Um, yeah. 25 yeah. since uh, I graduated but from that's, college. It's a long And time. you go by Kate. Right? Yeah, I go by Kate now. I'm Okay. I yeah. grew up from Katie. Yeah. About well, a decade okay. ago. Yeah. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, Kate Dugan, congratulations. You survived theater school. I did. I did. <laughs> and you are now in, of all places, Morocco. What the heck's going on in Morocco? Um, I'm teaching uh, high school here at an American high school. Um, yeah, my husband is Moroccan, so that's how we ended up here. Um, we met in Chicago, uh, worked together, and in 2018, um, <sighs> Yeah, we just decided it was, you know, he, his parents are, you know, getting a little older and he had not lived in Morocco for about 20, 25 years. And so he uh, decided, you know, he wanted to maybe try to come home for a little while. And so he got a job at an American high school. He's a teacher. He's a math teacher. 
And um, so we came and then I, I started sort of in one job that it didn't really work for me because um, I initially thought like I was coming to teach theater. Um, always uh -huh. the reality is never quite the same as what everybody says is going to happen. And so, but when we got here, so I, I tried to teach a theater class. It didn't, school wasn't quite ready for it. Um, then I sort of morphed into teaching um, English uh, as a second language. And then last year, uh, during, well, during 2019, 2020, I got my teaching accreditation to teach high school English. So I teach English language and literature. So uh, yeah. Yeah. How cool. Do you, yeah. how do, do you like it? I do actually. I like it a lot. I, you know, everybody says that teaching is the hardest job and in many ways teaching really is the hardest job. Um, like you, it's a lot of work and it's kind of, it's almost like doing like five shows a day, but you have to, yeah. um, write all of your own material and learn all of your own material. And, you know, it, it, you have to sort of, you have to really be ready for like a group of high school kids. I mean, these are, you know, they, they want to be engaged and they want to be entertained and they want to, you know, and if you can do those things and talk to the kids and be real with them, then, you know, it works. And it, on days that you're not quite up for it, it's a little tough, but yeah, I, I do like it a lot. I mean, I think that if you like to be in the room with the kids, then, then you, you're, you're going to win. You know, yeah. there's, I think that there's unfortunately a lot of teachers who don't necessarily like children. And so you kind of question right. that sometimes. Um, I'm sure we've all had experiences as students uh, in that kind of situation, but yeah, I like the kids. I like being with high school kids, you know, they're, alive and interested and you know they haven't given up yet no <laughs> it's true there i i read something to them the other day about yeah they're not dead yet they're still alive so that's that's what i like about it well the, sure. the other thing i was going to say is that my my mom was a teacher and she used to say the first year of teaching like full-time was the hardest year of her life and she yeah. like cried every day after school and it was the most rewarding. And so I, I yeah. Hats yeah. I mean, off, my first my year was 2019 or 20. So 2019 to 2020, I was doing my accreditation and I was teaching part-time and that was March, 2020. Obviously it was all online. And then September we started back. It was my first year teaching full-time and you know, we had one class that was online and then everybody, you know, the kids had the option to be online if they wanted to. So there was one class online and then there were students in school. And yeah, you're just trying to, you know, learn, figure out what you're doing and teach yourself the material and, and, you know, stay alive yeah. and handle every, it was, it was, yeah, it was a very stressful year last year. I got to the, I got to June and I was really tired and really stressed out. And uh, I just, you know, the good part of that is I have declared this year, I will never let myself get into that state again. You know, whatever I have to do to maintain my balance is really important to me. And so far it seems to be working. I, uh, I'm feeling much more on top of things this year. So 
Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So um, bef- let, let's talk about the period of time um, okay. before <laughs> you decided to go to theater school. You, did yeah. you grow up in the East Coast? Um, yeah. I. Uh, well, not exactly. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so, that's East Coast. Well, I know. I always thought of it as East Coast. And then years later, I was like, I think Pittsburgh's really Midwest. Like, it, Oh, it's, really? I maybe, mean, it's, maybe. it's like this close to Ohio. It's, yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. Where I was from was like this close to West Virginia. So there's a whole oh, other oh, right, element right, going right. on. <laughs> right. So it almost, you know, it is East Coast, I guess, if officially, but it, it has sort of a Midwest sort of feel like blue collar you know, town, but, um, yeah, so I grew up in Pittsburgh. I, um, I don't know. Do you guys just want me to, did you grow up performing and I doing well, high school plays and stuff? Okay. So not, not as much as I would have liked. I knew from a very young age that I did want to go into theater. Um, we, we lived up the hill from a small college, uh, Washington and Jefferson college. I'm from Washington, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, they built a new, uh, like, art center one year, and I remember going to see my first theater show there, and it had just opened, and I think my, it was the Rainmaker, and I think my dad knew the guy that plays Starbuck, and I just, you know, like, so we went to see the play, and it was just the whole experience of it, you know, of going to the theater and sitting in the audience and the lights and the people, and I just remember like when the lights went down at the, at the end, I was just like, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to do this. You know, how old were you? Kate? I was eight actually. Oh. So I, yeah, it got me at an early age. I wish I had. gotten set on something else a little bit, oh. but why, why, um, did the theater break your heart? Uh, did the theater break my heart? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's everybody's journey is different. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's not that it broke my heart. No, I feel like I just wish I had. No, of course not. I mean, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change the trajectory. I wouldn't change that love, you know, like that feeling. But I think just like when you experience something like that at such a young age, like your mind gets like really set on that thing. And like, I think it's important to grow and change. And, you know, obviously I've done that and I've done other things. It just, um, I don't know. No, of course, I don't wish it was really different. So I, uh, but, uh, you know we all have our, our moments. Right. I'm sure. Of course. Right. Yeah. That's what this whole podcast is about. Yeah. We <laughs> were like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And, and theater broke my heart over and over again. Yeah. I thought it was going to be one thing and, or the business. And I, it, it was not that thing. So I, for me, it's been a, a off and on heartbreaking experience with the theater. And it doesn't mean that there hasn't been intense love too. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. it's all part of the same, but yeah. So you, you, from a young age, you were like, you saw Rainmaker and you were like, that's it. Yeah, that's what I want to do. And so, I I mean, but like I said, it was a small town. There wasn't like a whole lot going on there. I never really took any acting classes or anything until I was in high school. Um, You know, I went like there was a, there was an acting teacher at my high school 
And I just remember like going to her class and being like super excited to finally like get to do this thing. And like, you know, she asked everybody to kind of give a spiel like about what they want to do. And so I talked about it. I was like, this is really what I want to do with my life. I'm really excited about it. I, uh, I just, you know, this is it for me. And, and I just remember her, like, it wasn't necessarily that day, but like, so at some point she just kind of looked at me and she was like, oh, you're the one that wants to be an actress. And it was like that first, like, I'm sure you guys have experienced this. <laughs> it was like that first experience of like, oh, I guess like me being excited about it isn't necessarily going to get people to hmm. be positive with me about right. it. <laughs> right. There right. was certain and there was an element of bitterness, I guess, which I think happens to people. Um, you know, and I think it happens justifiably. And so I think, you know, it's very important to me that I don't become bitter. Um, that I and I'm glad I haven't. Um, but I, I I felt it was a very it was like that first experience, like, okay, this is somebody that I I this is something I want to do, and this is somebody that can help me. And she was just not very enthusiastic about being helpful to me. And, you know, who That's knows? Sucks. Like, yeah, who knows? I was, it was kind of a weird year for me. So maybe I, you know, wasn't a very good student or something, or maybe she. No, no, she, she, that's a shitty, you, your instinct is probably <laughs> right on. No, no, because I know because I've done that to people. Actually, I, I feel like I've dampened people. I do this with my husband all the time where I rain on his parade and she rained on your parade a little bit. I'm not saying it's not that she doesn't have good reason to rain yeah. on parades, but she did. And that, that is sort of, um, we hear it a lot. So it's yeah. a common thing for, for someone to in either, either blatantly or inadvertently rain on a, a youngster's parade in terms of their artistic dreams. It sucks, yeah. but it happens. So like at, at high school, I wasn't really that, like, I, I think I, we did a, like a play for my English class or something. So I don't know. I, <laughs> I tried, like I was in speech and debate and I went to one meet and let me tell you like the power of the mind. Like I got laryngitis that day. Like I got laryngitis on the bus on the way to the meet and couldn't talk all day. And then on the bus on the way home, I was able to speak. And so, you know, I I think, um, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a whole other Let's talk about stage fright. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay, sure. Let's talk about it. I mean, does that mean you didn't keep going with speech and debate or you got Uh, No, I I don't think I did. I don't really remember. I obviously, it was not a huge part of my life because I think at some point I was like, okay, this is not, I'm the person that's going to help me. I'm not getting, feeling very positive vibes here. And so I'm going to try to, you know, do other things. So then I started taking acting classes. Did she, um, wait, I have to interrupt. Did she run the speech and debate thing too? Yes, she did. She oh, did. no. Yeah. So yeah. that's, I mean, there you go. I mean, yeah, that's that was my mom know, running just, the speech and debate. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, so then I started going to like taking acting classes um, in downtown Pittsburgh. There was the Civic Light Opera and they had like an academy of, uh, it was musical theater, but I just took straight acting classes. I was never like really a singer or anything like that. And that was a really positive experience for me. Um, I had a great teacher, Jill, and, you know, we did a lot of scene study and she was, she was the opposite. You know, she was a very positive person, very, 
loving and sweet and, you know, really you made me feel good about what I was doing and what I could do. Um, so, you know, there are those people as well that, sure. that you know, you, is you that do, who you, suggested that you pursue it for college? Um, I mean, I think it was never, for me, it was just never a question. Like, but I, long story, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't in the acting program at DePaul. Actually, so I was in the play. I was in the. (laughs) Wait, what? I was in the. I was in the playwriting program. What? Yeah. Why do I? Why do I remember you as being? Why do I remember you in class with me? But I feel like I remember you as being one of the actors. I also feel like I remember seeing you on stage as an actor. (laughs) No, I, I, I doubt it. I, I, unless were you in a play on stage? I don't think so. No, I, <laughs> okay. I mean, unless it was like some kind of workshop for one of yeah. my plays or something like that, but do no. you remember, do you, I mean, do you remember me at all? Do you, I do, do you remember. remember yeah. I remember okay. you guys. I, I remember you completely. I just, so I think I graduated. I was a year older than you guys. I think. When did you okay. graduate? What I year? graduated in 96. Okay. So yeah. yeah one year older. You were well, so, okay. That's so even- Go ahead. A playwright is awesome. Yeah. What, how did that happen? What the hell? Why did I come to there? Well, let me let me dial back to to where because you asked me if my teacher wanted me to go to college, and for me, like there was just no other. I was going to school for theater, and there was no stopping me. You know, it was fun. I listened to some of your podcasts, and and I listened to uh, Kate McKiernan's, and she was just like, you know, I was eighteen. Like, what do you? Right. You know, like, what did I think? I don't know, but I just, this is what my mind was set on. So, um, so I'm sure she, she, I remember her telling me that that acting teacher, she was like, of all of my, you know, she put me aside and this one other girl, Heather, who I think has actually done pretty well. I think she lives in LA and, you know, has done a lot of TV work. And she was like, I, you know, she's like, of my students, I think you guys have real potential to make something in this business. So she was very positive. Um, so then I started auditioning. Um, I auditioned for probably not enough schools. I auditioned for DePaul and like Carnegie Mellon and I think some other, a couple of other schools. And so then I, I kind of had my mindset on Chicago. My brother lived in Chicago for a couple of years and I had gone to visit him and I just really like fell in love with the city. And I always knew that I wanted to go to school in a big city. So I, you know, kind of got my mindset on Chicago. I was like, well, if I get into Carnegie Mellon, I'm from Pittsburgh, obviously, but I didn't. So then I auditioned for DePaul and I didn't get in um, my first, I, I didn't get in. And so I decided to take a year off and try again, um, which my dad was not super happy about. But I just had my mind set. I was like, no, I'm going to take you off and then I'm going to try it again. I'm going to audition again and that's it. And it ended up being, you know, I think uh, taking your off was a good thing for me. Um, I auditioned again (laughs) and I didn't get in again. And so, you know, it's funny, like listening to these stories of you guys, like, and all the struggles that you went through. And it's like, well, you know, well, at least you you got in, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's true. Like there it's is true. a positive. There are, are, are different struggles. That yeah, there are different to... struggles for sure. Um, but then, so, and I, 
when I didn't get in the second time, I was just, I don't know. I think I was just set on Chicago. I was kind of set on DePaul. They'd offered me a place in the theater studies program. And so I took it. And then I, I decided when I was there to um, do join the playwriting program. And this is 1996 or 1992. And I was like, at that point, I was like literally like the only person in the playwriting program my first year. There was like one person who was like a sophomore. I think it was like the second or third year that Dean Corrin was there. Mm -hmm. He had just, you know, been taken on to start this program. And so, um, yeah. And then as I went through, like a few other people joined, like Diane um, Herrera. Mm -hmm. And I think Adam uh, Mathias was also in the playwriting program. And so while I was there, it kind of grew a little bit. Um, yeah, so I, it was, you know, I mean, I don't know, you just want me to keep talking. I feel like I- Well, I'm just gonna say, I was just gonna ask a question about the theater studies program because yeah. I don't know that we've ever really talked about that program and, and how you just described it made it sound like that's where people can go to figure out what non-acting thing they wanna do in theater. Yeah. Or... Um, I mean, I think I, to be honest, you know, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. College is about making money, right? For, for most people, it's for profit, it's private school. I oh, think that sure. they wanted to build the program and yeah, I don't know what it was. I mean, I think I did pretty good on my SATs. My grades were decent and I don't know, maybe my audition was okay. And so it was sort of, yeah, like, a you know, they offered it to people like, you know, if you want to come, you're not invited to the acting program, but if you want, you can come to the theater studies program. And so I said no the first year. And then the second year, I was like, I'm ready to go to school. I mean, sometimes I think I probably would have been better off like going to like a smaller school that didn't necessarily require an audition or something like that. But they love you, right? Right. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I was like, well, I guess I'll do playwriting. And I, 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 I mean, I'm glad I did it for many reasons. It was not, it ended up being a really good choice for me. I mean, I think like listening to you guys talk about the um, competition and, you know, sort of like, I don't do well with rejection. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I think you really, uh, and I don't. I don't necessarily like love to be the center of attention. And I think like as an actor, or at least to be successful on some level, you have to want that attention. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Do you guys do, do you feel that you like being the center of attention? She does. I don't. <laughs> I feel like I love, I am constantly, and mine is, if you listen to the podcast, like we talk about the psychological stuff, like I, I, I still, you know, feel like I wasn't treated right as a kid. So I'm constantly, I, I'm so transparent about it. I'm constantly trying to get the approval of my mother who's dead by the way. So <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I, I can say that like, I want to belong and I want someone to say you are special and I pick you. That's like my dark sort of shadow side. And it always will be for me. I think even if I work through it, I think we yeah. all have our shadow sides and that's, and that's mine. And I think it transformed into, Oh, maybe if this school likes me, that will give me that sense. Yeah. But I never got that from DePaul because, you know, one, it's not set up for that. Two, people are bitter and weird. And three, it's an inside job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like part of it was I am the youngest of four. And so I think it was like that craving for attention. Like I totally get what you're saying there. Um, so, I mean, I like to be on stage, but like, I don't necessarily like the auditioning part of it. And I don't necessarily, you know, like have to be the center of attention at parties or any of those things. But I did, you know, I really did enjoy, I really do enjoy acting. Like I, I do like it. Um, but so you, you, you were doing a playwriting BFA. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, and yeah. You and your plays got workshopped at the theater school? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the program was so very fledgling. And I think because, you know, I wasn't in the acting program, you know, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, I think, admittedly. Sure. <laughs> because it is well, what I, I mean, wanted you, to do. You, wait, I just have to say, like, there's something really uh, fierce about auditioning twice for the program and then going to theater school, yes. study, theater studies. Look, it at, at your at a young age to say, you know what, I fucking want to go to school. So I'm going to, I mean, talk about, I, I, I see it as, you know, I hate calling people brave because I think it's kind of sending, but I think it's fierce to say, I'm still going to go to the school. I mean, of course you had, I, I would have a chip on my shoulder so big I wouldn't go. So yeah. You went and got an education for God's sake and a degree. Yeah. And I, I, I got a really good education, you know, that's part of what was really positive for me. And I'll go back to the, the question about workshopping in a second. But what was positive for me um, is that the theater school had this glitch in their in their system. And because the acting students had to take so many classes because you guys had yoga and movement to music and scene study and whoever knows what else. So like as part of your tuition, you could take up to 24 credits. Um, and so what I did is I then got a really great liberal arts education. I took poetry writing classes. I took like um, performance of literature. I took video editing. I took intro to film. I took like- Oh my God. Classes. <laughs> Wait, yeah. who, who told you you could do that, Kate? Like, how did you figure out like, oh, I have 24 credits. I'm going to use these motherfuckers. I, don't, like, I really don't. I don't know that anybody told me. I think I just figured it out at some point. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to get my money's worth. And I'm going to go take these other classes and in these other schools and learn how to write and learn how to make films and do intro to film and learn, you know, so like, I really loved college. <laughs> I don't, you know, the theater school was, I, I don't have anything negative to really say about the theater school either. Um, I knew what I was getting into. Like I said, I sort of had that chip on my shoulder um, to begin with about being part of the theater school, about feeling like Jen, like you said, like about feeling like an insider. Um, but you know, all my friends were in the theater school. I, I love theater people. I, I really enjoyed that experience, but, but part of my good college experience happened outside of it in many ways. Um, just because I kind of took the reins and I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some fun with this and get a good education and, and play. And I, I, I loved it. I loved school. I loved learning new things and and trying new things i even i even took like a, a leave of absence from the theater for theater school for one quarter because i did a, a 
been overseas. I went to Ireland for a quarter. So, and to do that, I had to take oh, a leave of absence from the theater bell. school. That rings a bell. Yeah. Does that seem familiar? <laughs> yes. Yeah, probably Kelly was crying because I was supposed to be her roommate, but I never called her. <laughs> Which Kelly? Kelly, Kelly McAdams. Okay. Yeah. I was, when I came back from Ireland, we were supposed to be roommates, but I never called and she just got her own apartment. And then I was like, oh my God, I don't know where I'm going to live. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, anyway, so back, so my theater school experience though was, was positive also for playwriting. I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, Dean Corrin was great. Um, you know, we took like dramatic criticism. We had, yeah. You know, another another theme that I have, you know, listening to your podcast that you guys have talked about a little bit is like self-sabotage or not taking advantage of the opportunities presented to you. Um, I feel like because I kind of had that chip and I wanted to be an actor, like I didn't necessarily take advantage of the, the opportunities, my playwriting opportunities, which came easier, of course, <laughs> you know, because... Cause that's the way it goes because if you want something it's not going to be you know it's not going to be easy but if you're kind of sort of like well maybe maybe not then the opportunities roll in but yeah like uh we had a poetry or a, a playwriting workshop class with sandy shinner she worked at victory gardens at the time oh, yeah yeah and she was good friends with dean and like he had her come in as like a guest teacher one day and we were going to work my play and he had given it to her and she had read it. And, and I was just, I don't know. I, I just was like, Oh God, I hate that. I, I really don't want to work on it. Do we have to do this? Can we do something else? And like how we shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, like what an opportunity really. And because yeah. I was insecure and scared, I'm sure like whatever psychological, you know, thing you want to come up with that, that, that we, we do to why, why we do these things for ourselves. Um, so, you know, and I, I had other opportunities like that along the way that I didn't necessarily take advantage of, but Wait, Kate, did, did you pull your play or did you work on it? We didn't work on it. No, wow. because there was somebody else in the class who was much smarter than I was and was like, oh, well, I, here's my play. We can do my play. We can work on mine today. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's really, that's, no, I mean, I totally relate. And I think it, it just speaks to many things, but like you weren't ready for that. And that's it. And I, I'm starting to look at things like, ready versus not ready versus good and bad. So you just weren't ready to, to take, have that experience. And we can look back and, you know, I listened to Gina and I talked to people and, and we're like, we blame ourselves for that, but you just simply didn't have the emotional resources to take in that experience. And that sucks, but. And when you're not ready, it, it people could say anything to you. Right. That person could have said, we want you to be the new resident playwright at Victory Gardens. And you would have said, I don't think so. You would have um, gotten laryngitis again. Like it, it, it it's, we couldn't so take it in. That's so interesting. I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think you're, I think you're right. And that's, it's, that's hearing it come from you. It, it, 
it's nice. Good. Rather than me saying it to myself or trying to figure yeah. out like why why do I do these things to myself? We, or, and it's interesting yeah. having done all these podcasts, Kate, we see it over and over again. So we have the data to tell you that people have, we've heard like so many people like with these, being offered these things and being like, no, I'm not going to move to LA because, you know, I have um, an apartment in Wrigleyville. Like, I'm not going to be a movie star. And people are like, what the hell? We all have that. I think that's part of growing up. And I also, also think it's part of expecting young people to really handle a lot of things we cannot handle. Yeah. They're, one of the books that I I teach my students is called Outliers. Have you guys read it? It's Malcolm, oh, Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. Yeah. And he, you know, there's a section in where he talks about practical intelligence and, you know, how some people, the people that are successful, you know, they grow up with a certain family life or, you know, maybe it's about money. It's about education. It's about these things, but it's also just knowing how to handle yourself in certain situations and knowing how to take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to you. And I think if you aren't, if you don't have that or you're not taught that, it, it, it is hard sometimes to, you know. It's a deficit. Yeah. yeah. And what I just heard you, I mean, when you said it's good to hear that from us, that made me think, oh, you've been beating yourself up about this <laughs> for 25 years. You've well, been no. saying to yourself, what, what, why did I squander this opportunity? Which, I mean, whether or not you did, it, it it's completely human that that you might occasionally have that thought um but have you spent a lot of time in in regret uh no i mean i don't think so i think i don't spend a lot of time in regret you know i definitely have had moments um over the years i uh a, well a few years back i sort of had like a little bit of a not a breakdown but like i think my midlife crisis started And like my, you know, I have two kids and my daughter was, you know, eight and my son was four. And it was just kind of like, you know, you know, when kids are babies, it's just baby, 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 baby. You don't, you don't have time to think about yourself. So who cares? And then like, when you start to get back to yourself a little bit, it's just like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm 42 or, you know, whatever. And what have I really done? And, you know, what am I doing? And, you know, is this, is this it? Um, I mean, I, I was teaching yoga. So, I mean, that's also part of my journey. Um, I mean, like I, so when I got out of school, like I did acting for a while, like I've done some very bad independent films. (laughs) Um, do you guys know uh, Sandra Delgado? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. She, I like. We did a really bad film together in the early two thousands, and um, you know, like I did like a horror film, and I was like had some small parts in some other independent films, and you know, I, I was trying to act and auditioning and auditioning and auditioning, and like I did a couple of plays, but it was just never, you know, I just could never get to a certain point. I really just, I would have done theater and crappy theater and whatever, but I just, I couldn't, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I, I have the, that decade that I call the, the bad boyfriend years. So, oh, sure. <laughs> which we can all relate to on some level, oh, sure. um, which I, you know, where we all waste a lot of energy on people who don't deserve it. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so, so then, yeah, like a few years back. So I was kind of not in a good place and I was like, okay, well, I guess it's now or never. And I, I finally finished a play. Um, so I went back to writing. Yeah. That's huge. That's That's huge. You know, I finally, cause I, I was like, okay, I guess if I'm going to try, I guess I got to try. And, you know, I, I really discovered a few things. I discovered that I like writing. I, I feel good when I'm doing it. Um, you know, there's a lot of positives to it in that way. I, uh, finished the play. I, it got, it got into like the second round at the Austin film festival. Um, so that's big. That was, yeah, that was pretty cool. I guess since it was just like my first foray out of doing anything in theater in quite some time. Um, and I had a stage reading in Chicago and, uh, then it sort of, you know, petered out after that. I, I was sending it out and sending it out, but no, no, uh, no hits after that, but so, you know, I'm kind of gearing up to write again. So no, I don't, I don't have, I don't, I haven't been beating myself up about it. I think that, you know, life takes a course and you Mm -hmm. can only do what you are doing in the time that you're doing it. You only have the information that you have. You only have the life skills that you have. You only have Mm -hmm. the resources that you have. And so I I think regret, I don't waste a lot of time on regret. Um, I have enjoyed listening to the podcast and sort of, like you said, Jen, like everybody's story is the same a little bit. And that, you know, a lot of people who, you know, I looked up to and had a lot of respect for and were really good actors and good at what they did. It just didn't happen for them. And, and so that's, that's life. I, um, yeah. So, um, I am still just trying to, uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around why I just remember you as being an acting student. <laughs> maybe it had to do with that. You were friends with Kelly and maybe I spent Probably time that's with you it. because of your friendship with Kelly. Probably okay. that was it. Yeah. I mean, okay. I was, I was friends with all the apartment three crew. Okay. I, all right. Um, there we go. That's what it was. Yeah. So I mean, I like, I like got even like deeper in my brain. I was like, what if I was taking on your desire to be an actor and I saw (laughs) you as an actor because it was so strong that you wanted to be an actor. Like I literally have an image of you on stage, but I, that actually can't be right. Somebody else. Yeah. It's your face. It's really weird. So anyway, I mean, I think that one time, like I had a play that maybe I did a stage reading of with Daryl Dickerson at school. Um, and maybe some other actors, maybe Kelly was in it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so that would have really been like in a classroom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, not an actor or I mean, I, I am an actor, but not in theater school. Yeah. Right. So these days, I mean, when you're talking about, um, the work of being English teacher, it reminded me actually, ironically, just a few days ago, I ran across a notebook that I haven't opened since I was a teacher of social studies and drama. And I remembered that I used to take for social studies. I used to, um, write my lesson, like a monologue kind of, and sort of, not memorize it exactly, but almost like repeatedly rehearse it Wow! because it was 
not information that I already knew. You know, like I was learning the lesson yeah. <laughs> right before I taught it. And um, teaching is so performative. Yeah. That during that time, I was doing theater at the time, but even if I weren't, I think I would have felt fulfilled in a performance way. Do you have that feeling about being uh, a teacher that it feels like a performance? Um, I guess what I, I, I do like the exchange of energy, like, um, like you would get from say a live audience or something like that. I don't know that I necessarily look at it as a performance. Um, but I do feel like, yeah, you obviously, you have to be ready. You have to know what you're going to say. You have to know the material. And like, even if it is you just learning it that day or um, getting, you know, I, I feel that exchange. Like I feel good after class, like after talking with the kids and being with the kids and talking at them and, and teaching them, it does feel that way. Like a little bit like that exchange of energy that you get from an audience a little bit. Yeah. Do you otherwise feel a kind of a need to do, do you have a need for a, any other type of creative outlet or you're guys, you're doing it cause you're kind of getting back into. Writing. Well, my goal is to, yeah, to start writing again. Like I, I don't know how, what you're, um, how you guys write. Like, I don't know what, if you're constantly writing all the time or no. for me, it's, it's like, I tend to sort of get inspiration and then work on something, you know, in a, in, in a period of time, or if I create the discipline, like when I finished this play, I was getting up at like four 30 every day. I was teaching yoga at the time and the kids were, you know, still pretty young. And so I knew that the only way it was ever going to work is if I was disciplined enough to, you know, set that time aside. This is my time, my time to write. And so now, you know, after, like you said, um, you know, that first year is so hard. So now I'm starting to get my legs again and I'm, I'm hoping to, yeah, maybe start working on something. I have, I've like dabbled in screenwriting before a little bit. Um, so I'm thinking about maybe, um, getting to, into that a little bit. Um, I have a question for you yeah. when you took playwriting. So this is interesting because it was such a young program, right? Was there any actually teaching of writing at the theater school? <laughs> um, like how to write a play, you know, it's funny. Talks about that. It's funny because I, I mean, like I, it feels like we would write and we would give it the stuff to Dean and we had deadlines and things like that. Okay. And he would give us feedback on it. Um, you know, it's the funny thing is, is like the only, I feel like the only piece of practical writing advice that I ever got, and I, this is nothing against Dean. It's just what I remember. So Dean was awesome. I loved him. We had a visiting um, playwright from Nigeria, Ola Rotimi. I don't know if you remember him being there. He was there for like one quarter. And he basically just like kind of taught me to, to write a bit, you know, he's like, He's like, you have this scene here and the guy, he's at the cafe and he wants his coffee, but the waitress isn't giving him his coffee. He has to keep asking for his coffee over and over again. And it was just like, oh, you mean I have to create like a little bit of dramatic tension in the scene? What a revelation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like just a moment, so create a moment. I felt a moment. like, you know, he gave me some real, um, 
practical advice. It was just like, okay, you just have to, you know, these two people are here and you have to kind of, he wants his coffee and she won't give him his coffee. And that's where the comedy comes in. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how much, you know, they taught me about writing. I feel like I could have used a little bit of more help, like in practical matters, you know, listening to Kate's thing when you guys all went out for your showcase and that kind of thing. Like if somebody had talked to me more about submitting my work, maybe that would have been helpful. I mean, it's so weird though, to think of it at that time. I mean, right. I was, we were sending out headshots through right. the mail. We were sending out work through the mail. <laughs> I mean, you right. had to go imagine running out down and you'd have to go to what was called Kinko's then print right. out your play and then, and then mail it in an envelope to theaters or drop it off in person. And there was like that play. one um, place where you could get your headshots downtown, like the oh, one yeah. like photography place where you could yep. go and get like your headshots in bulk and you'd have to go yep. pick them up and like in the blue box. I remember the blue, the box, blue box. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still, uh, so the funny. blue box. Exactly. You know, J and S I think, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, okay, so then let's talk about the period between graduating okay. and where where you are now. So you, okay. well, you said you were auditioning. So I graduated, some- yeah, and then after that, I, I, you know, I would go in spurts of pr- productivity, you know, where I would audition a lot, you know, I was always looking at performing, um, you know, once again, trying to, I took a lot of classes in Chicago. I mean, I took classes at the Actors Center. Um, uh-huh. I did a lot of Meisner there. I did Stephen um, Stephen uh, Ivovich's program. Okay. He had a studio in like Wicker Park. Okay. Um, and so he he had like a, like a, I think it was like a nine month program or something. So you would, you know, go and you'd be with the same group. And I went through a program there. I took classes downtown at I forget what it's called now, the audition studio or, um, know. you know, and uh, I remember taking like an on-camera class with uh, Erica Daniels and oh, yeah. who was the other, who was the lady that she always worked with, the casting director, do you remember? She was blonde. Oh, Phyllis? Was Phyllis? That? Phyllis at Steppenwolf? No. It was like a casting director her name began with an S. I want to say it was like Sharon or Sally or I don't know. know. She was like a big casting director at the time. Uh So I took like an on-camera class with them. Um, (laughs) You know, I, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I don't, it's funny because like you, you, I, there's these moments where you realize like you're trying to be funny and it just isn't funny and it just ends up really awkward. And that was one of oh, those sure. moments with the, with them, you know, you're trying to impress somebody and, and she, I was sort of like chubby in high school. Um, and so I think that as with most women who have issues with body issues, like you, you have those body issues forever. It takes a long time to shake them off. And I remember they gave me this scene Um and it, it was the character was played by Sarah Rule. Who, uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, she was a little overweight at the time, yeah. I don't, you know, 
And I remember kind of making this off-color joke about how, oh, I guess I, I see you gave me the, the part of the fat girl or something like that. Like really like probably not appropriate, but I, I meant it to be self-deprecating, but I wasn't really fat at the time <laughs> anymore. So it was, didn't come off as self-deprecating. It was another one of those instances where it's just like, and the woman just like hated me after that. You know, and Erica was pretty cool. I think she kind of realized that I was just nervous and awkward. Sure. And but the other woman, I remember seeing her like outside after and she crossed the street to like not talk to me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm such an asshole. Like, why did I say that? I didn't mean it, you know. And so I'm even blushing now, I think, thinking about That's it. That's OK. <laughs> you said what? probably a lot of people were thinking when they would get yeah, that. Yeah, and, and like, honestly, <laughs> you can rest assured that absolutely every person who was there was just in an internal monologue about their own body issues. I mean, that's that's the thing that comes up over and over again when we feel so much shame about something like that. It's like those people would never remember it, A, and if even if they did, they'd with the benefit of hindsight, they might say, Oh yeah, well that just brought up for me, you know, my feelings about yeah. myself and you know. Yeah, and on so and on. I mean, you know, I think yeah, it just it. So I took classes all over the city. I auditioned a lot. Like I said, I did some independent films, um, and then you know, like I was still auditioning, kind of in spurts over time. I think. Uh, and then I discovered yoga. And so I started doing Bikram yoga. It's just the hot yoga. Uh -huh. I hear you guys talking about cults and cult leaders a lot on here. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's one of those guys. He's a, he's a yeah. cult leader guru now downfallen by sexual harassment. Um, but I started doing the yoga and that was like 2007, I think. And, um, you know, I had a friend who really kind of pushed me to go do the training and I wasn't really sure, but I decided to go do it. And, you know, it kind of, I think, I don't know if you guys have ever done yoga, but it, it sort of, you know, it kind of, it gave me something that I had been missing in a way. I think, you know, it is that, that mind body connection. I think I had been very detached from my body, um, for many reasons, you know, um, abuse and all that, like not physical abuse, but other kinds of abuse. And, and so like, I think that people get detached from their bodies. And so I think it, I was really connected to it in a way. And I felt good, you know, in a way that I hadn't felt in a long time. And, you know, I think that's the hardest thing sometimes when it, when you go back to theater, it's like you put so much energy into it and so much time. And I took so many classes and, you know, I enjoyed the classes and, but I just, you know, I really wanted to get on stage and it was just like, I just couldn't get there. Mm -hmm. And I think like at a certain point, you're just kind of like, what positive am I getting from this thing that I'm giving all this time and energy and, and love to like, what's the positive that I'm getting out of this? And I'm not, not really seeing it anymore, you know? Um, you know, I, I would get calls from people. We loved your audition. It was lovely. Uh, please come audition for us again. So, you know, there, there were positives, but it just could never, it just never really came to fruition. And so then I started 
doing the yoga and I, I felt really connected to it and I felt really good and in a way that I hadn't felt. And so then I started teaching yoga. Um, and I did that for like 10 years while I was having babies and, uh, raising them. And then like, yeah. So then 27, 16, I started writing again. I did, I did Bikram yoga for like two years and you're just making me re remember that part of what I liked about it, it was kind of like rehearsal. I mean, it, cause you just go and you do the same, whatever it is, 26 poses. Yeah. And the set is the same and the smell is the same. And it, and it, it is kind of like, a, it's very rich of all the yoga. It's like really ritualistic. It is I very ritualistic. See. And, you know, I, I haven't been practicing here in Morocco. Sometimes I, you know, close all the doors to my kitchen and I turn on the oven and put a pot of water on the stove and try to make it super hot. And every time I do it, I feel so amazing after I'm like, I really need to do this more. Um, there is something about, yeah, you know, the meditation of somebody talking at you and yeah, you know what you're supposed to do on some level. So you're, you can kind of tune out, but you're still listening to them and doing what they say. I mean, you know, that's me I, after years of teaching and practicing it. I it's just like, I just want to go in a room and have somebody tell me what to do. And then I do it. And if, mm -hmm. if you can go in the room and somebody tell you, you just do it, then like, I don't know your mind, that meditation comes in in a whole other way and yeah, like and nothing else. And as a parent, especially of young kids, you really crave not being the one having to do the telling what to do, but to, you know, <laughs> to be the one who gets shepherded by somebody else. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a relief. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, there's a lot of positives to it. And, and I, I've recently started running actually in the last six months, I've become like a runner and I've never been a runner um, really, <laughs> I was always a fast walker, but never a yeah. runner. Um, and there was so a high, like I, I, I ran for a while and I still sometimes do. I ran yesterday for like 20 seconds. I was like, that's enough of that. Up <laughs> then, um, but, but there is, so what it's interesting there from what hearing you talk, like with the yoga and with theater and stuff, there is a high from like an adrenaline high from doing something that you just do that someone tells you to do, or that is prescriptive and you just can, Oh, maybe it is like collapsing into a known set formula. Like when you're running, like you just run, like that's right. the job. When you're in yoga, you're doing the poses. That's the job. There is no room for, you know what it is? Maybe there is actually no room for like, a lot of self-doubt or like self um, talking yourself yeah. out of something, which I loved about running, which was like, once I got on the treadmill, I was like running, that was my job. So yeah, I just wonder if it had something to do for you of like collapsing into a set structure, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, the people who, people who like Bikram are a very certain kind of people. There's a lot of A type personalities that go into it. Um, they, yeah, they like the structure. They like the heat. Um, do you dream of, wait, do you dream of acting again? I could see, I, I, I my hope for you is to, that you start acting again. I did 
so right before we left Chicago, I did go on an audition for the first time in like 10 years. Yeah. And it went well. And, and of course it was the same old story. Like, wow, we really liked you. We really liked what you did. You're just not right for this part. And it was just like, you know, like, I mean, so, and then we left. And so, I mean, maybe, you know, I'm here, obviously I'm living in Morocco, so there's not a whole lot of auditioning or theater going on for me right now. I, I sometimes think about trying to find all the expats I can and just get them in a room and have them do my play it would be fun. <laughs> you should absolutely do that. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I guess that's the nice thing about writing is I can do that on my own whenever I want to. Um, yeah, you know, maybe, what maybe caused, someday. What, prompt, what prompted you to audition in Chicago after so long and, you know? I think it was, <clears throat> you know, I think when you're young, like you, you do feel like the opportunities are going to come, right? Like you feel like, okay, maybe this isn't the only opportunity. Um, and then you're sort of hustling, 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 hustling. And, but you, there's also that self, self doubt, I think that you're always dealing with, you know, um, not knowing who you are, not knowing where you fit. You know, I was reading your manifesto today, actually, just to kind of, you know, remind myself what you guys were, what you're doing. And it, it really was like that you're trying to fit into what you think they want for so long. Like, you know, I'm not skinny enough. I'm, you know, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not outgoing enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm whatever it is that they're looking for. I'm not it. <laughs> and I think like you said, what you realize is like, well, the people that really do well um, know how to go in a room and be themselves or they they don't care if you like them. They don't care if they fit into the role that you think that they're supposed to be. Um, and I think I did not have that not caring thing. I didn't have any of that. I think I, I cared too much. I think I wanted it too much. I think and I, I felt like I got positive feedback from people. Like I felt like I wasn't deluding myself, you know, that I, I don't no. think that I don't think that I sucked and like I was deluding myself that I was good or any of those things. You know, I felt like I was I was like, I'm OK. Right. I'm at least at the very least, I'm all right. But I just, you know, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I couldn't be what they wanted. And so I think, you know, kind of having that sort of midlife moment and then writing my play and and sort of and getting positive energy from that and you know the second round whatever but it was like better than nothing after 20 years it was just kind of like okay so who am I now can I just go in and and be myself and whatever that is and whether they like it or not and whether I'm right for this part or that part or whatever you know I think I just you know, I, I feel like it's important in life to not lose your spark. 
you know, yeah. it's important. I think like, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about at the very beginning. I don't want to become bitter. I don't want to have a lot of regret. I really don't have a lot of regret. And I feel like, well, why not try? You know, why not me at the end of the day? Why not be a guest blogger on our blog, Undeniable <laughs> Writers, and write about this very thing? Yeah, um, it would be so cool. Um, Seriously, if you're interested in that, let me know. I'm, I'm, yeah, sure. I'm definitely interested. I was awesome. reading over your blog again, the last one that you, I think it's the last one that you wrote. I was wrong. Is that the, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just appreciated it so much. Like what you wrote, like, and it is, it's just like, you know, but that's, everybody has their experiences and, and, and everybody, you know, I, I and I, but it goes back to like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to have regrets. I don't, I don't want to feel like, and I think for me, what, what I'm, where I'm at now, which is actually probably one of the more positive places that I've been is that I don't, I'm not really attached to the outcome anymore. I'm not really like, I don't, I'm not doing it for, for validation as like in the same way. I mean, right. I think, I think for me at this point, it's kind of like, well, have I really tried as hard as I could have? And in many ways, I know, I know for who I was at the time, I did, right? But I think for me now, it's almost like a personal challenge. Like, how far can I take it? Yeah. And, but not in like, I need the money or I need the right. attention or I need the validation, you know? And, and I think part of that too is understanding that, you, you know, we all do need a little validation. Oh uh, yeah. I, I think we, especially when you're in a business where you have to communicate with other people and people have to watch you, <laughs> yeah. you need to collaborate. Like you do need on some level, a certain amount of validation. And I think for so long, I was like trying to deny like that, that was part of my experience. And it was just like, well, no, that's okay. You know, you don't, right. you don't have to live for it. You don't have to live your life by it. You don't have to, um, cry, cry about it. Right. But like, I think I just want to push myself to see what I can do. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!